What do you think? I think we're dead meat. Real dead meat. Go ahead and laugh, you guys. If I ever find a little bastard of business, they're dead meat. Welcome to the Dead Meat Podcast, an extension of the YouTube channel Dead Meat. I'm James. I'm Chelsea, and we're boyfriend and girlfriend, and we like to get scared together. Yeah. And have special guests on our show. Yeah, this is Nicholas McCarthy. Hey, Nick. How you guys doing? Good. Oh, man, we're so excited. Uh, Nicholas just directed The Prodigy. Miles is dangerous. I don't feel safe with him in the house. Will you always love me? No matter what I do. Yeah, so we saw the prodigy. We're not allowed to talk about it until it comes out, so that's all we can say. Yeah. It's gonna be a lot of silence. (laughs) We're all gonna sit here. Yeah, it's an hour podcast of us sitting and thinking about the prodigy. (laughs) I think we can tell people to go see it though. Yeah. Go see it. I think that's the point. I think, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, and Taylor Schilling from Orange is the New Black is in it. I want you to tell me everything that you remember. I don't remember anything. Uh, so your first film was The Pact? That's right, yeah. And that was uh, 2012, right? Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, At, At the, the Devil's, Devil's Door. Door. 2015, I think. 2014. 2014, got it. And then you did a segment in that Holidays movie, Mm -hmm. which is available on Netflix to watch. You did the Easter segment, the third one. Mm -hmm. Yeah, some of you tweeted at me saying that that scared you very badly. And yes, it is the creepiest shit. He's so creepy. Loved it. (laughs) Uh, That's what everyone says about me. Yeah, (laughs) you're just so creepy. Uh, I'm actually curious before we get into like talking about the movies, just a little background about yourself and right. like how you got into filmmaking. Did you expect to be a horror director or did that just kind of come to you? No. Yes. I, that's what I always wanted to do. Yeah. You know? And <clears throat> I started watching movies on TV on UHF channels that were like, uh, you know, the only ones that would come through, uh, in the small town of New Hampshire that I grew up in. Oh. And, uh, I saw, you know, tarantula about the giant tarantula and them about the giant ants. And then I watched a bunch of made for TV movies. Kim Darby has inherited this house from her grandmother, but the house has some secrets. Uh, don't be afraid of the dark and a trilogy of terror. Those films all kind of rattled me and, and made me really interested in whatever this whole world of horror is, was. And then by the time I got to be old enough to go see movies in theaters, which was, you know, in the 80s, and it was a really good time for, for horror movies. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then I had saved up money to get my first VCR. And um, there was just that crazy, weird world of movies on VHS tape where you, you didn't really know exactly what you were going to get. There wasn't you know, there wasn't the internet for context. And, um, and there also weren't many people that I knew that were into it, like really no one. So there was a lot of these films that I kind of discovered on my own, either watching them, you know, in a theater by myself um, at a revival screening or a new horror film or, uh, you know, um, something that I had rented. Um, I was just hanging out again with Joe Bishara, who did the music for The Prodigy, and we yeah. were kind of you know, talking about how we, we had these really similar childhoods. And it's the kind of childhood that I think a lot of horror fans had where, you know, you'd go to the video store and, you know, like I would rent, you know, a horror movie that I had never seen, a horror movie that I had seen. And then like, you know, something really bizarre, like a Doris Wishman movie or some kind of, you know, 60s exploitation movie. And then like a episode of The Twilight Zone or The Outer Limits, and I'd be like, okay, can I watch all of this in one night, you know? (laughs) And and so it was this kind of self-education. And all through that, I I was making movies. I made Super 8 films and then films on video. And and then I went to film school at... um, SUNY purchased uh, State University of New York at Purchase. So I, I did ballet programs there. Growing they have up. a great dance program. Yep, <laughs> I, I went there. I stayed there a summer and like did that whole like intensive. Wow. Yeah, I have very fond memories of SUNY Purchase. Okay, great. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Where did you grow up? Did you grow up in? Uh... No, I'm uh, from Michigan. We're both from Michigan. Oh, okay, right yeah. on. But it was just yeah, it's such a it's such a good dance program that like right. people from all over the world came there actually. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Well, the film program was really interesting. It's it was really small. Um, there probably in all four years were like forty students or something like that. 
Um, and I learned a lot there. I, I guess I was already kind of, I was already making films by the time I got there. Um, but what that kind of provided me with was like a place for like to not work, to have a normal job and just to make stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, and all through that time, even though the kind of films that I was making in film school were probably the kind of cliched stuff that, that like, you know, white guys who go to film school oh, yeah. make, you know, I've been there. They were like <laughs> these kind of fake Antonioni movies or something like that with, with student actors. But, um, I was always obsessed with horror films. And, um, so I came to LA in 2000 and I didn't know how to, uh, you know, how movies got made, you know, it was this mystery. Um, but I knew I loved to make movies. And so I started this film club with some friends of mine and we would just, it was kind of a challenge where we would, um, each of us would write a five page script and then we would put our names in a hat and then you pull out someone else's name and you had to make a script out of that person's thing. And or like you'd actually film the other person's yeah, script. Oh, yeah. Okay. Although none practice. of us, yeah, ever really like stayed that. Tr- it was kind of an excuse, just that you know to then we had to make a film. We had mm-hmm. to. We need. We had six weeks, and we were going to deliver something. And it was a, the film club was called Alpha Sixty, and we did it in Echo Park. And um, I think I made thirteen short films that way, one after the other, because I didn't know like. You know, other people are very, they are probably savvier than I was, where they would like get a job for at a production company or at an agency or something. And, um, but I just, I just knew that I was happiest when I was making films. And those movies, like none of them were really horror films, but a lot of them had this kind of, kind of disturbed vibe or something that I would put in them. And uh, I began to go to film festivals, played my first short at a film festival. And then I made a much more elaborate short film, which played at Sundance. And that film was a comedy, but it was a comedy that had like a zombie Christ in it in in one (laughs) sequence. So that stuff, like my kind of lifetime obsession with horror films was always there, you know. And, um, And after going to Sundance, that was kind of this moment that sort of activated me to say, I'm not gonna just make short films in my apartment anymore with my friends. I'm going to see if I can actually really do this. And um, I began to write screenplays. And of course, the first screenplay that I wrote was a horror film. And it was kind of, um, it it really was inspired by the, you know, looking at other, you know, horror directors that were people like John Carpenter and and George Romero, who had made films that were, um, you know, written for their budgets, but were super intense. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that movie, it took place at a rest stop. It never never got made. Um, and it was about this girl who discovers this severed head that's in this, this box. And um, that script ended up kind of being, in some ways, like the door opened just a little bit. And I had a few meetings. Um, but it really wasn't until I went back with another short to Sundance um, five years later. Uh, and it was the short film of The Pact. No, I don't believe in God. And you don't believe in ghosts? Here's something that's interesting to me. I want to tell this story. It was like a 10-page script. I had no business um, spending another $5,000 of credit that you know I shouldn't be spending. But that's what I did, and that movie got into Sundance. And because that thing did something different than the other ones did, which is that it embraced this kind of horror atmosphere, which I had been putting in kind of non-genre stuff all along. Mm-hmm. But the PAX short film, which you could see on, someone put it on YouTube. Oh. I had put it on, I think I, I think I have, my Vimeo was like, has it up there. Um, and it's, it's, I think it's an interesting movie. It's like the first half is this kind of intense character thing with this brother and sister. And then the second half is this ghost story. And that was, that was the moment when I saw that movie with an audience at Sundance. They played it before, uh, you know, one of the midnight films. And I was sitting at that Egyptian theater on Main Street, and there's this scene in the movie where the actress was Jewel State. She's this, uh, people know her from Firefly, the Joss Whedon show. Um, And she was a friend of a friend. She agreed to be in this thing. And there's this whole scene in that, in the, you know, people could see it online. It's like the last moment of the movie is her walking towards this door. And I had in the sound mix all the everything cut out except it's just like her breathing and some of her footsteps and stuff 
and you could just feel in an audience that everyone was like, oh, fuck, you know? <laughs> and um, it was because of that moment that I met with some people who said, we want to make a movie. And they said, uh, uh, clearly this is a, a, like a spec for a, a, a feature that you've written because it ends very ambiguously. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it, it wasn't like, but I lied and I said, yeah, yeah. yeah there's a script. <laughs> and I went and wrote it and, and, um, and then gave it to them. And it took about five, five or six weeks to write. And then within two months, we were like casting it and making the movie. Oh wow, that's, that's pretty so fast. fast. Yeah. And yeah, uh, I, the pack, the movie, the feature film does like have that's kind of like the the beginning of it, and then it continues onward from that. If I'm yeah. thinking correctly, yeah, the yeah. woman walking towards the door. Uh, all the the stuff where it's just slow zooms towards doors and down hallways. <laughs> always, it just that never fails to give me anxiety, and it reminds me because you you talked a little bit about having you know kind of non genre stuff and a bit more you know not traditional horror, but it felt I don't know I feel a little bit of David Lynch in there where it's just the dread sure, of going like down hallways yeah. and just I think of like this is always an example I use of like something that scares, scares me the most like the is dumpster. the Winkies diner thing yeah. where it's just the fear of what's around the it's corner. amazing that you say that because I think that scene in that movie in Mulholland oh, Drive yeah. was one of the most kind of influential things for me I just wanted to come here to Winkies this Winkies Why this Winkies? I had a dream about this place. And, and that scene kind of, for me, kind of hatched this scheme about how to write a short film that I used in The Pact, and I'd used it for the first time in a short that is also online called Chinese Box, which is not a genre film, but it, it deals with this kind of, it's, it's about this dysfunctional relationship, but it, and it deals, it has this kind of bizarre science fiction element to it. Um, but also the Easter short film that I did. Yeah. It's the same idea, which is that you set something up with a conversation mm-hmm. where someone is, is claiming something that is like impossible. Yeah. And because you're sitting watching a movie, you're like, well, maybe this is real. Like maybe this is, <laughs> is going to be real. Well, honey, just close your eyes and go to sleep. And tomorrow you are going to wake up and there will be candy chicks and eggs and yummy stuff. But what if I'm awake when he comes? What if I get up and get a glass of water? It's okay to get a glass of water. No, but what if he's here? And by the way, there's a weird um, connection there because they made a sequel to the Pact, which I've never, I've never actually seen it. Oh, really? But but the the one of the actors in it is one of the actors in that scene from that movie. Oh, uh, yeah. is it the guy who gets Patrick? Yeah, the guy who has. Oh, the, also in Mad Men. He's in, also from Mad Men. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah. A great he's a great, yeah, great character actor. Yeah, and exactly. I got to meet him because when they made the pack two, like literally the day before, it was like the, the going to be their last day of shooting, and I was kind of drunk at a bar the night before with a friend of mine who had produced the short film of the pact, <laughs> and I was like, just staring off into space and saying, "They made a sequel to a movie I made. This is the weirdest thing," and then I said. Or maybe my buddy said, we just got to go to the set and see it. So the next morning we got up and we drove to set and he, that guy was working. Oh and, I, and I was like, oh, you know, thank you for this weird life <laughs> yeah. moment that I'm having. Wait, I'm actually kind of curious about that. Uh, them making a sequel with, it sounds like without your involvement. Dude, that's they... how you know you've made it though. I know, right. Like, We're it's, taking this from you now. It's an honor. Our, yeah. I mean, it really it's is. Like the birds too. <laughs> the birds too. Oh my God. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. That's a, that's a that's a late a late sequel. Yeah. Um, I mean, it it was an honor like that that they made the pack too. And I I met the directors. It's a directing team, um, Dallas and Patrick. And Patrick went on to do one of the shorts in Southbound, the uh, anthology. And I thought he did a great job with that. And um, like it just for me was this, you know, it was like this weird thing where it's like. You know, if I was to ever watch that movie, it would be equivalent of like, you know, if someone like took my kid and like took them on a vacation without me and I didn't really even really know who that person was. And yeah, they'd be like, here's some like, pictures of yeah. this. And I'd be like, I get the anxiety uh, that, you know? of that. Yeah. There's other things from, you know, there's other movies I'd rather watch. But <laughs> did, did any cast members return or was Ka- there any? Yeah. Apparently Katie oh. was in it. Actually, actually, the three principals are in it. Um, Katie has a small role in it. Um, I never talked to her about that. 
um, Mark Steger, who played Judas. Okay. He returns. And you said he plays the uh, uh, Demogorgon in Stranger Things? Yeah, he, right? he went on to, to, uh, to play the Demogorgon. And, and, um, and then Haley, who plays the blind girl. Haley Hudson, who was just so amazing in the in the pact. Yeah. yeah. She they brought her back. Um it's just so strange. Yeah. You know? <laughs> yeah, like you wrote those characters. I might like, I don't know, someday. <laughs> mm-hmm. No, right. I totally get, yeah, the the weird apprehension to, you know, watching it and facing it. It would just be very, very out of body, I think. Right. <laughs> I think I'll do it with people. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah. yeah. Right. Maybe the support system. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, like so. Yeah, speaking of all the actors, like I was kind of saying earlier, there's there's so many awesome women in your movies, which I thought was so cool watching through them. And I I think that's a big trademark too of horror is yeah, it's a genre where women get to be main characters and it's not a big deal. You know, I think I didn't even realize it until I kind of sat and thought about it. Like, oh yeah, all these movies are women's stories, but I don't feel like it's a gimmick, right? Yeah, that it's exceptional. It's just, yeah. yeah. Well, it's interesting to think about that because then you could play the opposite game and think, what are the horror movies about men? And there there aren't as many films that are horror movies about men in, like, I guess the modern era, like, you know, when we started telling stories in a different way, like maybe starting in the 60s, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, but there there is a kind of horror movie about men Um and there's there's a few different examples of it. Um, Sinister was one of them. Oh yeah. Uh, Angel Heart was another one. Don't Look Now was another one. And if you really kind of deconstruct those movies a little bit, they're actually about kind of masculinity being ch- challenged. You mm-hmm. know, like where it's like, am I going to be able to hold my family together? Yeah, you know, my, my family. Yeah. Don't. Your daughter. My daughter has a father who loves her, who is always around, who encourages her to be herself. All right, the worst thing that has ever happened to her is one time she moved into a house where a family was killed. She found out about the murders. All right, so she felt sorry for the little girl. So she painted a picture. Your movies also have a lot of religious stuff going on, which I'm a big fan of. We were just, I think the last episode we were talking about how how often it is that horror directors and writers end up having grown up Catholic and yeah, I, you and did, I, right? I did. I grew up Catholic. <laughs> yeah. And and actually, you know, um, the first time I saw The Exorcist, uh, I saw it on a Betamax uh, nice. tape that, I'm not joking, a kid named Damien nice. sh- showed it to me. <laughs> I think you're really gonna I, I, I had a friend in sixth grade named oh, Damien. Sixth, six, sixth, sixth, sixth grade? grade. Yes. <laughs> and, you know, that movie, it, because it it had so much imagery of, in, you know, of priests, which was, you know, was part of my life going to mass every Sunday and, and that my, uh, my parents were very Catholic. Um, it felt so real to me, that movie. And of course, that was the whole aesthetic of the film is that, mm. it, is, is, that is this sense of realism. Um, I was just shattered by it. And um, I couldn't make it beyond, it was probably about the hypnotism scene. Um, I, I had to have Damien shut it off because it was so troubling to <laughs> mm-hmm. me. Um, and when I actually read the script for The Prodigy, there is this hypnotism scene that's in the, the trailers. And I realized it was now, you know, this this chance to kind of pay homage to that moment because really like the first hour of The Exorcist is the one that I, I love. You know, it's when... Ellen Burstyn is trying to kind of figure out what's happening with her daughter and um, the kind of disintegration that's happening in that family and and the uh, and, and also Jason Miller's character being so kind of morally tormented like that's the stuff that still really appeals to me. Um, but when I was a kid, just seeing people like the seeing the Catholic Church cast in this light where it was like just this feeling of kind of dread and doom. It really scarred me because it, I guess I had my own questions about going, you know, what I was absorbing, witnessing at, you know, at mass every every, every Sunday. Um, and so, yeah, it eventually it, it made its way into into the movies. And 
in the prodigy it's it's almost an easter egg because what i liked about mm-hmm. the prodigy without giving it away too much like and i think a lot of the way that because they've kept the movie a secret um a lot of the way people have kind of talked about it on online when they're just describing what they see in the trailers is they think it's a possession movie they think it's a movie about the devil possessing this kid and i can understand why they feel that way because it's like we were kind of drawing on all those tropes that the exorcist used you know um but uh for me like this was actually a chance to get away from this catholic shit <laughs> and it, but then also to take a kind of supernatural and you know it's inside this film without giving too much away a, a, a religious belief um that is uh that is different than catholicism different different than christianity but is you know uh for billions of people is just as real you know so i'll be i'll be curious i'll I'll give anyone five bucks if they can if they can spot the catholic thing that i put in this movie oh yeah (laughs) yeah you told it to us before we start so we won't reveal it Mm -hmm. that's another thing i really like about your films is the way you work in the supernatural because uh like as a as a complete skeptic you know, I, I don't. If a movie's based on something supernatural, it definitely doesn't bother me. Like I buy into what that is in the movie. But y- your movies have a tendency, and I'm thinking of the Pact especially, to like really ground that supernaturalism and to like. I, I'm. I just like how in the Pact, it's not the crux of it. Like it's yeah, not. It's not that like kind the of big blew my reveal. mind actually. Yeah, or it's, it's like just a fact of that universe the movie takes in, but it's not like the big surprise of the movie. You know, or it's not the big, like the big, evil the big thing. bad of the mm-hmm. movie. It just mm-hmm. is a fact of yeah, that life. It kind of lets you have it both ways of like having that spooky supernatural stuff, but then there's also the real fear when something's very real, like with the strangers or other like, yeah. oh, it could happen to you. Like you get to have both of those in. in yeah, the it's pack. kind of like a Reese's peanut butter cup, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I mean that's how I saw it. Is like with the pact, it was kind of like that. It would be a kind of you know, be a ghost story movie like The Changeling or, or a J-horror film that then would turn into a slasher movie, essentially, right? And that's because while the, those kind of, that kind of metaphysical, uh, you know, horror of, of, uh, of you know, um, a paranormal threat is delicious and something I love, at the end of the day, the thing that we fear is is other people, you know, and so... I always was curious, I guess, when I was making the movie about how that was going to play, if that was going to be a disappointment. But it seems like for most people who were, you know, who were into that movie, that reveal that we're passing from one kind of film into it, like from one subgenre into another subgenre, yeah. was satisfying because really, like, you know, if someone is going to be, you know, like when when Katie learns what she learns about that house, like it's like this thing is going to come and it's going to fucking get her, you know. And um, and I'll never forget the first time we screened that movie. It was at Sundance, and just that moment when Judas appears, like it was like there was this just crazy gasping in the audience, like what the fuck, oh, you know? <laughs> yeah, there's some good good scares in that. Your scares are always very. They're very there's good. a few in the Prodigy that made James yelp in the. Theater. Yeah, and I like you know he, clearly yeah. I'm seasoned when it comes to horror movies. I don't He's get too worked up. He's a grizzled old. Yeah, <laughs> been watching veteran. this shit since I can remember. Yeah. But <laughs> we saw a a early morning for us screening of it, like yeah. at 10 a.m. Woke us right the fuck up. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and like there, there are two times where like I yelled aloud, mm-hmm. and like the second time I just turned to Chelsea, I was like, "I'm fucking scared. This is awesome." Yeah, because like I never get scared. I'm always looking for a movie that will really scare me. And yeah, that's great. Well, there, <laughs> I have a this really terrific memory of the second preview. Uh, there was the scene that's that's in the teaser trailer, uh, which is a whole story that that scare is in the teaser trailer and like what that teaser trailer actually is which I'll tell you guys in a second because it's kind of interesting like it wasn't intended to be a trailer and then it got turned into a trailer but you know it's you can see it in the teaser trailer and it's and it's this scene that I recreated from this Mario Bava movie called Shock where this kid runs down the hall and then turns into this guy mm-hmm. and um and like when when that scene uh you know played uh it uh, uh, both previews, it was it had a terrific reaction, but 
But the second preview, we just, you know, we had continued to edit the movie. We had like kind of dug it in a little further. And you could just tell the audience was just a little more, you know, just kind of with this movie. And I was sitting with Jeff Bueller, who wrote the movie, and then Joe Bashara, uh, who did the music. And when that scare happened, and there are, it's not like the movie is like a jump scare fest, but like, you know, it's like when that kind of thing happened, it's like, I feel like it's got to happen big. Yeah. Like the screams <laughs> were so loud. And then for like a solid two, three minutes afterwards, people just kept talking and laughing. Yeah. Uh-huh. Laugh to off. the point yeah. where we actually had to adjust the edit a little bit after that, just to make sure that the dialogue was going to be clear in the I next w- scene. But I remember I turned to Joe because Joe is the witch in uh, The Conjuring. Mm-hmm. Oh, he plays yeah. the witch. Oh, he's right. Bathsheba, so, and he's the lipstick demon. And, and Insidious, yeah. yeah. And like, he's Joe is part of two of the biggest jump scares in like modern <laughs> oh, yeah. movies, like the 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 lipstick demon and Insidious, mm-hmm. and then the witch on top of the on dresser. The dresser. Oh, yeah, God. right. Oh, God, it's so and, scary. And I just remember there was those screams, and and me and Jeff and Joe were kind of looking at one another, like you know, gloating, like look what we did. <laughs> And uh, I said to Joe, I think I think we we beat you on top of the dresser, like you know, <laughs> which oh, was a great man. moment because like you know those if if you can do that stuff and and the audience is with you because there's there's a danger with jump scares because they're so overused mm-hmm. and and you know any audience but especially a horror audience knows when it's um, it's being done unfairly. It's yeah. when it's cheap, mm-hmm. you know, and, and there were a lot of movies when horror kind of went mainstream again in the 21st century where people maybe who didn't have, you know, the business of they, they shouldn't be making horror movies necessarily were making them and they would kind of insert these cheap scares where you just get like, you know, I, I would get pissed. Yeah, you know? it's just like a loud noise and like someone like slamming a window or something, and just like there's, it, it doesn't yeah. feel like there's a good, uh, it, it doesn't feel earned. Or yeah. it's like I don't know, it's you can even draw a parallel to comedy where it's like mm-hmm. you have to have a build up to a joke for it to be funny, mm. you know? Like if you have a scene and someone falls out of nowhere or somewhere <laughs> it's like there's no context and it's yeah. like well what are we doing you yeah know? well and, a, and there were a lot of jumps that were kind of manufactured by people in the edit room you know mm. and like and um yeah and you just kind of know it you know when but when they do work and they are designed like that's a tool in like a horror filmmakers arsenal and like i learned that from you know in Jaws, the head popping out of the, the yeah, hole of the boat. Yeah, that's a good one. And, um, <laughs> and then uh, An American World in London, there's a series of jump scares in that movie that really, I remember the first time I saw that movie, I was really young. I saw it when it came out. Mm. And I was probably, I mean, I, I wasn't too young, but mm-hmm. I was too young to see that movie. And the, the jumps in that um, movie over the first you know 45 minutes were so shocking to me. <laughs> that I was scared like I didn't I I didn't want to leave but I was it was uncomfortable to like to this extent of like it's like being on a ride that you want to get off yeah and then I kind of started to like it's like I started to get used to it and then by the time I got to the end of that movie I was like that's one of the best movies I've ever seen <laughs> yeah <laughs> you know I'm thinking of it's like the cut to his face where he smiles and it's all like I think it's oh. when he's in the hospital. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, there's a dream sequence. Yeah, David yeah, Nonsabit, yeah, yeah. that is the thing that completely fucked me up. Like, yeah. Like, she, she looks, Jenny Agutter, she looks down at him and uh, and he opens his eyes yeah. and there's this weird makeup on. It's oh, just, God, oh, yeah. it's so scary. Yeah. That's the, oh, yeah. that part still creeps me out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's cool, too, because that movie, I totally even forgot there were jump scares in it until you brought that up and I think yeah. that's a sign that that movie uses them effectively because that's not what I what I think of when I think of that movie it's yeah. like oh it's just a jump scare fest like no it's a very good movie and but the whole idea of a jump scare fest is kind of a recent phenomenon yeah. right mm-hmm. like it's like like yeah you said 21st century kind of because mm-hmm. they because you know like they like when they're when they're used well they have the power to kind of like brace an audience like I remember when I saw the remake of The Ring. I saw it at the Cinerama Dome. It's like huge, mm-hmm. you know, screen. And there's that moment in the beginning 
where they're talking about the girl that they found and they just suddenly cut to her and it's that Rick Baker makeup. Yeah. And it is so shocking when yeah. that happens. You're just like completely pinned to the back of your seat for that moment. And that has this effect of like, for the next 20 minutes, you're like, okay, like what's <laughs> gonna happen here, you know? Yeah, so yeah. it's kind of like composing music, really. Yeah, we we reviewed that movie on the podcast. We had a guest on for it because it was her favorite horror oh. movie. And we just, I had seen that movie uh, like years ago, but I remembered that scare. Mm-hmm. So I just sat there for the first 10 minutes, like I can't look at the TV because I yeah. know it's coming up. <laughs> that girl sitting in the closet, I hate it so much. They, uh, <laughs> they, they actually, manufacture that in the edit i think really that was one that they shot a scene where they were it was like revealing her and then they cut that scene out and then they put that in later nice okay editing man yeah we both come from an editing background so oh yeah 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 fondness for editors post-production yeah Yeah. So what are what are some of your like all time favorite horror movies if you had to pick i know it's hard to pick but i'm so curious Um, well, there are the movies that kind of like, you know, destroyed my brain when I was a kid and that, you know, I'll continue to go back and watch, you know, um, uh, the first evil dead movie I saw, you know, in a theater and, and it was, and it was a strange thing because I had been making super eight movies and I was like, I started to watch this movie and I was like, this looks like a movie I would make. Yeah, it looks so homemade, yeah. like homespun. And then I learned later, you know, that they, they actually were Super 8 filmmakers, that then this was their mm-hmm. first 16 film. And like, um, and the way that that film took the audience by surprise, it was a small audience I saw it with. It was in a revival screening a couple of years after it had been released. And um, everyone was laughing at the movie and then at some point, everything turned, and yeah. y- everyone was with this film. And and to kind of witness that magic was was an amazing thing. Um, yeah. Suspiria, I saw in a theater as well when I was probably about sixteen or seventeen years old. It was a double feature with It's Alive, I remember. And <laughs> oh, we nice. just watched that. Yeah, <laughs> and It's Alive, I had seen before in video, and I was like, eh, this movie. And <laughs> I, but you know, again, you know before the internet, like I didn't know what this thing was. I knew it was an Italian film and that's pretty much it. I'd probably read one sentence in like a Fangoria magazine article that was probably someone being interviewed, you know, mentioning the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, And because it was part of this festival where they were showing a lot of horror films, a lot of cult films and underground movies at this giant theater which had like a balcony and this huge screen, I went and I saw it you know, by myself, uh, and it was just so loud. Mm-hmm. And I, I just had never seen anything like that. I mean, I, you still had never, you know, it's still, there's nothing like it. Yeah. Um, and so that film, like, deeply affected me. You know, like, it was, uh, you know, it was, the, it was the movie that kind of introduced me then to, and I think to a lot of people, to European mm-hmm. horror movies. And then from there, all sorts of other kind of European films. Um, and then I, I do watch a lot of older horror movies. Um, the original Cat People is one of my favorite movies. I love that movie yeah. too. Yeah. <laughs> Talking about great women's horror movie. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, and just this ensemble of all these interesting actors. It's short. It's I think it's like 68 minutes or something. It's a movie that I often turn on, like, like when I come home late and I'm like, I want to watch something. Across the centuries comes this exciting story of a modern girl cursed by an ancient legend. Legend of the Cat. As far as the genre, you know, I think you had mentioned that Carpenter's The Thing. Mm-hmm. You know, I just watched that again. It's like this kind of irrefutable masterpiece, that film. <laughs> but as like so many of the, um, you know, the kind of practitioners of modern horror have been passing away, yeah. um, you know, it's then, I think, given lots of us a chance to then take a moment and say, okay, what did these guys do? And... Watching Nightmare on Elm Street again after Craven died, I watched that movie twice. And I was just so amazed at that film. It's so well-written. And, like, despite it being so janky, like, it's such a great idea for a movie. It's so original. It's so strange. It it just takes me by surprise every time I see it. That's one of my favorite horror movies. But then another person who's just passed away, uh, George Romero, 
uh, you know, Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, those two. And Martin is a great movie. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Martin is a movie that you could see now like playing at Sundance. It's a little bit more of, I feel like it's uh, an intellectual, it's long. You, you know, kind, <laughs> kind, kind of, you know, um, uh, to appreciate it is like you feel yourself appreciating the movie. Mm-hmm. But <laughs> Night of the Living Dead, man, like I watched that movie, you know, I watched it. He had just passed away. I watched it again. Then I had people come over a few days later, and we all watched it again. I mean, that movie is like, it's just unbelievable that they made that film. And it's like, and then it changed everything. Like, I I think what you got to do the next time you watch Night of the Living Dead is just sit there and imagine what people thought, you know, in the first few years after that film came out where there were no zombies. Like, no one knew what that was. They Mm -hmm. knew there was a movie about like, oh, this is about dead people come back to life, right? But that film is like this freaking black hole of horror. Like, it just keeps getting more compressed, more disturbing. It's so, and then it ends in this crazy, like, racial thing, and you're like, oh! Like, I mean, it's, to me, if I had to pick one film that kind of overall is the greatest horror movie of all time, that would be it. so yeah, I mean, there's a lot of classics, but then there's also a lot of films that I love that aren't classics. I, as any you know, self-respecting horror fan loves the stuff that also is like you know a three-legged dog. You know, it's like <laughs> so. Um, another film that I pull out every once in a while and find myself watching for no reason that I can really understand or articulate is The Car. This movie about the uh, 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 James Brolin uh, late 70s movie about the, the it's basically about the devil driving this car killing people what Ooh. I've never I, seen yeah, I've this. Never heard of this you guys should see the car evil has visited the earth in many forms now it returns as the car it was right around the same it was probably like a year before he did Amityville Horror nice and um, that movie I saw as a kid on television and it just it fascinated me, and there's a weird like cult of people who are into that movie. And I know one of them is apparently uh, Guillermo del Toro, who has a replica that he had made of the car in that film. Yes. Oh, that's awesome. and, it, and it's he had it made for himself. Yeah, and he could that's, drive it around. Like awesome. it's like you know. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's it's that that is an amazing weird uh, horror film that that I'll like you know any day of the week I'll I'll turn that film on. Oh man, that sounds so fun. Yeah, yeah, you guys should see it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's fun. James Brolin's got one of Hollywood's best beards. Oh, it's wow. so seventies. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's so insanely, <laughs> and it's got this whole. It's it's just got this. It's very serious. Like there's no humor in it, and like oh, even him and like fun, the the relationship in it is kind of like it's difficult. And you, this the guy who who directed it clearly like he doesn't want to make a horror film. He's more interested <laughs> in making like this drama, but yeah. he's been saddled with making this movie about a driverless car. Like, it's like, it's so crazy, so that bad. movie. Yeah, so. I love that. So those are some favorites in, in general. Yeah, yeah. God, that director, it almost sounds like Larry Cohen without a sense of humor. Because Larry Cohen's movies are like often not that horror until yeah. they are. Because like, yeah, like, like we just it's said, alive. it's alive. It's like half of that is just kind of a melodrama. It yeah. is like, like, yeah, like family yeah. drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like yeah. The dad losing his job. That's like a large portion of that movie. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, he's he's such an interesting director because like he, you know, is one of those guys who just like bucked the system and made these completely unique movies, you know, and like um, and sometimes you look at the work of some of those directors like Larry Cohen or, or maybe even Romero in the first part of his career because you know, when you think about, they became these icons of horror. Romero's second movie was, I think, There's Always Vanilla, which is a, a, Mm. um, it's like this kind of 60s, you know, like small town melodrama. Well, what are you going to do, Chris? I'm pregnant. He made this series of films before he then re-embraced you know, being like, he's like, okay, I, you know, I created this thing and I'm going to like embrace my love of horror. And it's always interesting to think about, like, it's like Carpenter, like, you know, his first, like, legitimately financed feature was not a horror movie. It was Assault on Precinct 13. Mm -hmm. And it draws on Night of the Living Dead, but it also draws more on Westerns. Precinct 13, cut off, isolated in the middle of a city, 
as a human wave of street killers turns the night into a nightmare. And then he kind of found his home inside of this genre, you know? Um, but one of the things that makes his movies so great is that he's not just someone who is obsessed with horror films. Like, that. that one of the reasons why the thing is so great is because, you know, he's drawing from his love of Westerns as a, you know, and of Howard Hawks movies in general, um, and then making this crazy movie out of it. And, um, and that's one of the interesting kind of tensions in, 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 in horror uh, in that sometimes the best people to make horror films are the ones who love them. But sometimes the best people to make horror films are the ones who just kind of come out of nowhere and just make their one horror film. And that would be like Polanski with Rosemary's Baby, Kubrick with The Shining, like Friedkin with The Exorcist, like mm. they came and they they just completely exploded the genre. Mm-hmm. You know, they appreciated it, but they like took it apart. And um, and that's a very different world than I guess the one that I was raised with. And I think so many of us are who just grew up just complete horror nerds. Yeah, just you know. Yeah. yeah, I think of recently John Krasinski in A Quiet Place because he yeah. was what not a, surprise, right? a horror yeah. fan, and then that movie was great. I, or uh, with the new Halloween, I know Jason Blum said like when he picked David Gordon Green to direct it, he was like, to be a good horror director, you just have to be a good director, and so yeah. that's why he got someone who isn't uh, like that, like steeped in the genre, known to be like a horror person mm-hmm. to make it. And mm-hmm. I personally really enjoyed that movie. Yeah. yeah. Then, too, you don't have someone getting tangled up in the weeds of the Halloween continuity. Oh, no, They're God. like, nope, this is a sequel to the first one, yeah. and that's that. <laughs> you know what I did recently? You guys would appreciate that. So my, my friend is a director. His name's Rodney Asher, and he did um, Room 237. He also did this great documentary about sleep paralysis called The Nightmare, oh. which is on Netflix, which you guys, I bet you'd really like it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we both had seeing the new Halloween movie and we were kind of talking about we're like well, what's the what is the most legitimate sequel to Halloween is it this one or is it like the original Halloween 2 and we ended up watching and then we started talking about Halloween 2 and this is just it's it, it's just the kind of thing that like horror nerds have these conversations and yeah. I was like wait a minute I haven't seen Halloween 2 you know in like since I was like 15 years old and it was like like a bolt of lightning I was like I have to see Halloween 2 like tonight you know and <laughs> and Rodney got really excited we've got to see the original Halloween 2 and um and like I barely stream anything and um and it wasn't on like any of the serv- services in HD and um and there's even a video rental shop uh really close to where I live um and it only they only had it on DVD, and we're like, oh, we can't do that. So there's a guy named, do you know Bill Neal? Bill Bill is a uh, he's he's a horror trailer editor. He I mean he, he's edited all kinds of trailers, but he's like this amazing guy who has this in- incredible knowledge of, of horror movies, and he designed and you know cut all the trailers for like It and the Conjuring series and like. Uh, and Bill cut uh, At the Devil's Door for me. It was the only feature he's ever cut. It was oh, like this cool. favor because he's usually off making tons of money, you know, marketing these movies, well, he, horror he cut films. the It trailer? Yeah. That like broke records, yeah, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. He did, he's did. you know, he's doing the ones for Pet Cemetery. He's like the oh, go-to cool. horror guy I love yeah. the in, ho- in Hollywood. Those, yeah. And, um, and I was like, who has Halloween 2 on Blu-ray? And I was like, <laughs> Bill? And he was so excited to get, he was like, oh, you haven't seen it since you were, oh, you, you got to tell me what you think. Like, it was like, yeah. you know, it's like, and that's everything about like being like a horror nerd. It was like, you just, we're so excited. And we, we ended up actually watching, we watched the original Halloween 2 because we had watched the new Halloween 2. Mm-hmm. And then we watched Rob Zombie's Halloween oh, too. Yeah. Right after it was like oh this night of Halloween oh, too. It was really, really <laughs> funny. And I had actually never seen the Rob Zombie movie. Which and version did you watch? Do you know? It, it was, was probably the director's cut. If it's the, I mean, it was two two solid hours long. Was, you know, yeah. <laughs> I got to say, I was really amazed at that movie. Both Rodney and I kind of went in very skeptical, mm-hmm. and I I thought that movie was really amazing. And and um, there was a lot of really good filmmaking, but I just loved that. It was almost like the opposite of what you'd expect from any kind of um, 
remake or reboot done today. There's like no nostalgia <laughs> and, yeah. and yeah. like no nostalgia at all. And then the movie was like, it was like Halloween firewalk with me or something. I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. Just visions movie? of like you know? a woman with a yeah. horse. And <laughs> I mean, that was, I mean, given we had probably had a half dozen margaritas by then, yeah. but it was, I, I, we came away fans of, of Halloween too. Rob Zombie's <laughs> Halloween too. So if I ever meet him, I'll tell him. Yeah, yeah. Oh, man. <laughs> I, that's such a good specific marathon. It's yeah. just all the Halloween It's good to do that, twos. right? <laughs> yeah. God, the timelines on that franchise. I know. Well, I lost it after. I never. Halloween 3 is like, is an awesome movie. Yeah, I, I love you know? it. We love I Halloween 3. We have all the. Oh, yeah. We have all three of the masks. They're oh, yeah, yeah. somewhere, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I, I went to, Bill uh, had a Halloween 3 themed party where you oh, recreated that's... the set. Oh no! The following three, and, he, and even also the hotel room with the the woman with the fucked up face. You know when she oh yeah just, yeah like, with the blasted open so face. Funny. <laughs> yeah, it was a Halloween three themed party. It was like just so next level. But like that's why I love like just horror fans in general. It's like it's like taking it to that. You oh know? Yeah. yeah, we'll we'll one up that. Uh, not this most recent Halloween, but the one before it. We actually have on this floor of this building, two other apartments have our friends in them. So like we friends had, from college. Yeah, and yeah. So we had a triple uh, apartment party. It was like an apartment crawl where our apartment was it themed. Like we had nice. uh, uh, it written in blood on the the shower. Yeah. Wall nice. And the we bloody had balloons everywhere and yeah. like lights that looked like water. Oh yeah, and it smelled like water. We yeah. Had, yeah. And then <laughs> another apartment was the thing. They blasted their AC, had fake snow everywhere. <laughs> and then the third apartment was Stranger Things with like the lights on the wall and. <laughs> I love just meeting other horror fans. And it's so fun getting to yeah, sit down with someone who is a director. You have a major motion picture coming out like this week. <laughs> yeah. But it's so fun to meet directors who are just, they come over and they're like, oh, cool. You have so many horror toys. I want to go look at them. And it's, it's just, <laughs> yeah. you know, horror feels very egalitarian mm. it's very like everyone feels like we're on a level with each other and totally there's an appreciation that goes like from the top to the bottom i think just um crew wise and yeah like we were saying horror is a genre where it's it's special in that we have makeup artists who are celebrities where we know their name yeah. and yeah i think that's really really yeah cool. it's great and i and everyone who i've met who's you know doing this now as a director or as a writer or as a makeup artist like we all have you know, or as a journalist, it's like we all have like a, a kind of the same path, you know, like me telling the story of like the movies I saw on TV or the movies I saw in a theater, like you could hear that story a million different ways from, you know, any number of men and women who've had like, oh, well, the, the thing that got me into it was this and this and this. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that kind of, I, you know, it's funny because I think in some ways the, the love of the genre Sometimes I wonder in my own films how much it's come through because, uh, you know, in in uh, in those first two movies, I was pulling from a lot of different places. And like you're saying, like the subject of the pack doesn't necessarily, it's not always just a ghost story. It becomes something else. And then it's this kind of tortured, you know, character uh, uh, in her story. When I showed At the Devil's Door at South by Southwest, I remember the person who was conducting the Q&A one of the first things he asked me was like, if I was a horror fan. <laughs> and I was like, I hope you realize that, you know, like I love this stuff, mm -hmm. you know? Um, but there's, um, you know, there's, th there's this kind of, I think a culture now, and especially because of the internet, like where, you know, we can find one another, right? And when I was growing up, um, that didn't really exist. I mean, I, I would go see these films like by myself, you know? Um, there was a lot of kind of solitary, you know, viewings of movies and like meeting other people who are into these films was like, is like this revelation, you know? Um, you, I remember when I was a, uh, you know, when I was a teenager, I actually had pen pals and that was the only way that I could find out like oh who, people who were into like these movies, Aww. you know? Yeah. Well, that's why stuff like Fangoria and, and uh, like Famous Monsters is another big oh, uh, film. Famous Monsters. Of, uh, yeah. 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 Sort of like a previous generation like yeah. the, of uh, horror kids, like that, like monster kids, I should say. It's like, uh, and I kind of, I felt like I was taking a lot of my cues from like that generation who was like older than me, who had that love of movies 
of monster movies, and they saw them all on television mm-hmm. in the nineteen late nineteen fifties into the sixties. Mm-hmm. And I think because of my age, I'm in you know I'm forty eight. Like the the movies that I was seeing on TV uh, that were these old monster movies. That was kind of the last time those movies were actually on, because just a few years later, everyone had cable programming got kind of new and also like there were shows in the 80s all of a sudden like the Friday the 13th TV series and other mm-hmm. horror series that actually had like gore effects and stuff like that like that would have been like I've been unheard of when I was a kid you know yeah and so things did change and there was like this but I and it's I you know it was something else I was talking with Joe Bashar about yesterday it was like it's something actually kind of nice that I felt like I was armed with um, which is that I'm kind of maybe in an age group that was like the last age group where there was a physical um, boundary between the thing that like, if I wanted to get that thing that would change my life, like whether it was in a bookstore or it was at a video store or a record store or in a movie theater, like you had to, you had to go there. Yeah. You had to like work. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and it's not to say that it's just different now. It's, you know, it's, it's amazing now, but those kind of experiences of going and getting that stuff mm-hmm. was like life, that was life defining stuff. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Cause like it's, uh, I feel like you'll remember that experience a whole lot more than, you know, Googling it and pre- pressing watch this, like stream this, you mm-hmm. know, like when you actually, cause like when I, when I was growing up, uh, yeah, a lot of my memories are riding my bike up to the video store. And like I had my my parents tell the people who worked there, it's okay for him to rent R-rated movies on his own. Yeah, <laughs> so like I could go into the horror right. section and like rent. You're these, psyched. Yeah, movies just based on their title or their cover, yeah. their yeah. cover art, and finding stuff like the dentist and weird shit like the that. The dentist. <laughs> yeah. yeah, my dad always talks about when he was growing up, uh, and I wonder if you watched similar stuff in on TV in New Hampshire, like kind of local stuff. He grew up watching Shock Theater, which yeah, that was around because you know uh, he's from Detroit, like we're all from the Detroit area, but that was like Midwest. He'd have to like stay up late and I don't know if he was allowed to be watching it either. He just had to like, yeah, he had to kind of seek that out and maybe get in trouble for (laughs) staying up to watch Shock Theater where they would show, they would curate movies and they would show like, you know, a block of them during the night, but. I mean, there was no, you know, it's funny. It's like, because we only had like seven channels or something like that. It was so, it, for a while, it was so few and far in between when I could see anything like this. But then what happened is, I, see, I would read the TV listings every week and I would just look to see what was coming on that had a title. Because again, no context for any of this stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You'd, and I'd read a title for a movie that and it would be like, Destroy All Monsters. And I'd be you know <laughs> seven years old, eight years old, and it's like, what is this thing? I have to see this thing. And Channel 56 in Boston must have boosted its signal because all of a sudden we could get this in and I had been reading what they were showing for you know probably six months or something and then I finally could see one of these things Mm -hmm. and um it was a double feature and on a Saturday afternoon and the first one I don't remember it was a it was some some Godzilla or Toho monster movie and I had some context for that because I had seen these films before but the second movie was this movie called Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster. Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster. See the terrifying invasion of the beach party. See a United States astro-robot become a creature of death. And <laughs> with a title like that, it's like an eight-year-old Ted Adventure. Yeah. Yeah. But here's the thing, like that movie is fucking weird. Like it's, it's shot in Puerto Rico in black and white. It's from the mid-60s. A bunch of it is MOS. It's shot without sound with just like kind of surf music over it. And, and there's Who made it? I don't remember the name of the director, but it's like it, it alternates between this. It's the story of, there's no Frankenstein in it. It's a robot named Frank who's gone haywire. <laughs> and- and then there's this, um, these two aliens, which have, the, it's almost like an Ed Wood kind of feeling movie where these two aliens, it's a, like, um, uh, you know, male, female, and they're these kind of king and queen of some alien land, and they're monitoring this. It kind of, I wouldn't be surprised if they shot this other movie and then had to pad it out. And mm-hmm. so they, you know, yeah. so there was just no context I had for what this was. And um, there's a scene in it when Frank picks up a hatchet or something, and he just it goes at someone with it, 
and um, it's off screen, but it, there was a great deal of violence. And it really felt like I was seeing something that was um, forbidden or mm-hmm. something, you know? And, um, and then this is the other thing, and I, you know, and it sounds, it's like, especially, you know, anyone who's watching or listening to this who's like younger, they're probably sick of hearing people saying, well, when I was <laughs> younger, but, but back then you did not ever know if you're gonna see this again. Yeah. Like it would just, it, that you just assumed you would never see it again. And then it became this thing where you'd like go on the playground and you're like, I saw this movie and it was called Frankenstein Meets the Space Monster, <laughs> you know? And it was only when I got like the book, the Psychotronic Encyclopedia of Film that listed a lot of these movies that I realized what they were. And then there was another book called Keep Watching the Skies, which is a brilliant uh, book of uh, about science fiction movies, the 50s and early 60s. And that book, it was so expensive, um, you had to go, to, I, I had to go to the library to read it. And I would just sit there and I'm like, you know, and that's when I would find out what this movie was. <laughs> you know, yeah. you didn't just hallucinate. Yeah, that it was because it would. Yeah, and those movies feel so dreamlike anyway. Yeah. You know? Oh man, I want to go watch that. It's no, weird I when you were describing watch the car it, and Frankenstein yes. the space monster. When you were describing it, it almost sounded like the plot of Rocky Horror, <laughs> like an alien yeah. king and queen yeah. monitoring Frank. someone named yeah. Frank who yeah. takes an axe to someone. Sure. Oh my God. Isn't that weird? That's totally true. Oh my God. <laughs> maybe That's incredible. Some, yeah, maybe uh, what's his name? Richard O'Brien yeah. saw that late at night too and just thought he dreamed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh man, it has been so good talking to you. Great. Like, this was yeah. such a fun chat. And yeah, uh, I definitely recommend people check out The Pact. Yes, I'll find links door. to your shorts and put them, like I'll put them in the description so if you scroll down, okay. you'll Yeah, we never talked about the Easter Bunny movie. Oh, oh shit. God. Oh, man. <laughs> okay, well, let's do that now because that yeah, shit is fucked. Oh, I mean, I it's only like a 10 minute thing. Yeah. I, I just loved it. I loved it. I love the look of the Easter Bunny. Who designed the Easter Bunny look? It was uh, Jason Collins, who's, he has a company called Autonomous effects and he did the effects for the pact and at the devil's door and um and and yeah and that that movie was uh the company that was putting it together um uh you know approached me and said you know make a movie about a holiday for twenty five thousand dollars <laughs> and um and so then I had the the idea to make that movie, and I, I wrote I wrote it for those three actors that are in the the movie. Um, Ava, the little girl who was, who was at, also on, at the Devil's Door. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She also actually in the Prodigy. She um, she's not on screen, but she was part of the Loop Group, which is the oh. the people who do voices for. The, so she's in the like the background. The background. Yeah. She's in like a fabled Loop Group. I just always I'm very fascinated by people who get loop to groups be in are the Loop awesome. Group. Yeah. yeah, sounds like the best. Day. And and yeah, they're man. well they're. People who are really good with improv, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. um, and those, yeah, the, the, that's an amazing profession. Uh, but then Petra, uh, who played the mom in Easter, I wrote the part for her. She's an old friend and just a brilliant actress. And then, yeah, Mark Steger, who played Judas, he played the bunny man. And um, yeah, that's such movie. a good physicality to him. I love it. it is, yeah. If you like body horror and if you like oh, Hellraiser and you like. <laughs> yeah. We yeah. It's like kind like, of a Cenobite. Yeah. Thing. Just very. Cenobite, yeah. Cenobite, Easter Bunny, Jesus. Oh, man. <laughs> I'll tell you one thing about that movie. When I finished it before the movie was completed, like I just had like a, a Vimeo link, like a password protected link. Mm-hmm. And um, I was introduced to Patrick Stewart. And I had this, you know, 20 minutes of hanging out with Patrick Stewart, what? drinking with him and his wife. And, oh, my God. And at some point, you know, Patrick Stewart was asking me what I did. And I was like, oh, well, yeah. I just made this. And so he was like, I very much would like to see this. And, and uh, Mark, who played Bunny Man, was like, I was trying to be Patrick Stewart in that role, you know? <laughs> yeah. And yeah. so. Does he, he also voiced the character? Yeah. And okay. then, and then we kind of, cool and then we kind of screwed mm-hmm. up his voice in yeah. post, but mm-hmm. like, um, <laughs> but Patrick Stewart watched the movie oh my and God. he sent me like this really nice email and it was, it's almost written like you'd imagine Patrick Stewart speaking where it was like, it was very good, very scary. <laughs> Excellent work, you know. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. That's so good. Your right. movie has the Patrick Stewart seal. Yeah. <laughs> so random. Oh, that, like, so random. I would be proud to show that to Patrick Stewart. Yeah, yeah. I loved it. It's such a nice it's little, so, like, bite-sized Right, yeah, just a nice little, like, just a little... It's like a shot of horror. Yeah. It's great. 
it's awesome. I thought you were gonna clarify, like not that Patrick Stewart. And they're <laughs> yeah. like, no, that's straight it's up the Patrick Stewart. <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah. Yes. Well, yeah, definitely check that out. That's on Netflix. The mm-hmm. holidays, mm-hmm. Uh, and yeah, like I said, it was the third short, and then the Prodigy comes out. Yeah, it's out this week. Yeah. Yeah. It's out. Go see it. Check it out. It's, it's fun. Yeah. I can't get in trouble for saying it's fun. I yeah. said it. Yeah, come at us, <laughs> studio. <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much. This okay, you're great. welcome. Yeah, thank Glad you. to be here. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, just, uh, I don't know. Catch us next week. I don't know how much of a sign-off we got here. Yeah, do your, we'll do Twitter. Okay, okay yeah, follow Dead Meat on social media at Dead Meat James on Twitter and Instagram. Yeah, I'm at Carebeck, C-R-E-B-E-C-C on Twitter and Instagram. And do you have uh, social media? Are you like... Uh, well, the for the very first time in my life, the the studio asked me to, to join Twitter. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and now I'm like man approaching Twitter. So yeah. please follow me, and you That's know I'd be happy to. Uh, it's uh, I think it's and McCarthy director. You like just tag me. Yeah, and You've, I'll put a graphic. It'll be in the description too. Sure. Yeah, yeah. Here. Well, yeah, yeah. We'll cool. Get taken care of. Cool. Yeah. Until next week. Yeah, I'm James. I'm Chelsea. This is Nicholas McCarthy. Yeah. And this has been the Dead Meat Podcast. <laughs>